For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The decree to annihilate the Jewish people has been issued and a date set. Now it's time for our heroes to begin to collect their courage and have a plan. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, Time for Taking Action. Alrighty, let's get ready to dive into Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4. We are in the middle of going through the book of Esther verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we've left off there at the end of chapter three, so we're going to pick up at chapter four. So let's ask the Lord for his blessing. It's a great story, lots to learn tonight. Heavenly Father, for those insights, we just pray that the Holy Spirit would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, you have ordained this moment. We know nothing happens by chance, and that your spirit is busy working and Uh, bringing us together tonight for good. So you have something to say to each heart. You call us by name. You know us as individuals, and you have something uh, in a personal way for each heart tonight. Help us to hear it and to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the book of Esther, of course, is about heroism. And uh, when many lives are in grave danger, someone has to rise up and to do something, and it's usually at great personal risk. Now, uh, something like that's been splashed all over the news lately. Uh, You might uh, recall seeing the three Americans who were receiving the Legion of Honor Award, France's highest uh, medal, for their bravery, I I believe, last week. Um, We have a picture of that. Three young friends receiving that prestigious award. Let me tell you a little bit about it. Um, They were vacationing, if you uh, didn't catch the news report, uh, together there. They were on a high-speed train, and an Islamic terrorist uh, came out with an AK-47 down the aisle, shot one passenger, and... Uh, according to uh, Spencer Stone, Spencer is the blonde who's receiving there uh, the award. Uh, he he went ahead and put the guy in a chokehold, uh, and until he was unconscious. And uh, Alex, uh, the one on your right, uh, was helping to disarm him. And the student there, Anthony, also was help uh, helping uh, wrestling him. To the ground. What I, I like what Spencer said, the man in the middle. He said, I opened my eyes from a deep sleep and I saw him coming, an AK 47. There was a scuffle, and uh, Alex taps me on the shoulder and he says, Let's go. <laughs> and so before I even knew I wasn't dreaming, you know, he said, We were on him and I had him in a chokehold. Well, the guy took a box cutter. He was strapped with the weapon, but his hands were free. And he took a box cutter and slashed Spencer's neck and cut his thumb 
almost completely off, and that's why he's in a sling. And so while that's happening, there's a, the passenger who got shot. Spencer, after they subdue him, takes his finger and, and, and puts a pressure on the passenger's wound and saves his life while his thumb is hanging off of him. And so, you know, way to go, Team USA, you know? Amen? Oh, it just makes you happy to hear stories like that. Fine job uh, all around. The bad guy's in custody, and the hero has saved the day. Thank you for those pictures. Well, in tonight's ongoing saga, a story also about heroism, uh, there is a wicked Middle Eastern terrorist involved, uh, and his plan is to commit genocide, not just to shoot up a train. And uh, people's lives are in grave danger, uh, and there's a hero who's going to have to take uh, action. But unlike uh, the story that we were just talking about, and Spencer Stone, unlike him, our hero really does have some time. His big thing was, hey, you know, I'm not a hero. I didn't even have time to think about it. I opened my eyes and boom, I had an instinct and man, I was upon him. But the hero tonight uh, has some time to strategize, to plan, and to kind of rally some strength uh, for the task ahead. So as we last heard, the plot uh, has been uncovered to annihilate the Jewish people. And we're going to talk about how that came about. But uh, the, the attack is planned. Now, the enemy who's behind this, the conspirator, uh, of course, his name, to remind you, Haman, uh, he's not wielding an AK-47. He's wielding the king's signet ring and a decree that he duped King Xerxes into signing this decree that is going to vent his hatred for the Jewish people is slated to wipe them all out, but on a specific date. They cast the lots, they rolled the dice, they got their magicians out, and they said, in 11 months, the perfect day to wipe out an entire nation will appear, and that date will be March 7th in the year 473 B.C., the historians and the scholars have this down, you see. And so March 7th, 11 months from that date, every Jew was to be killed. And the text said, young, old, boys and girls, everyone in the kingdom. And let me just show you that, that picture of that kingdom, like in the map. Warren Wiersbe said, there's estimated 15 million Jews living in this time under Persian rule from, from, from India to Ethiopia. The edict went out to every region, and it has just gone out right now as we pick up uh, in chapter 4. And so thank you for that map. We're going to begin now. So the king's heralds have gone forth. Uh, the official word has just gone out. So the world is just hearing about this edict that sets a date for the annihilation of an entire race. Verse 1. Now, when Mordecai learned of all, he's kind of our lead character and a Jew, 
When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. And every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. And so uh, let's pause there and uh, call this a time to weep, a time to weep. So the story shifts back to Mordecai, one of the only two Jewish names, really, that we're going to hear about in the book, uh, one of the two Jews who are slated for the gas chamber, as it were. Uh, Haman, as I said, is the conspirator. Uh, he only knows of one Jew in the palace, right? And so uh, Mordecai uh, is that one Jew, and he works in the administrative offices. It's called the King's Gate. And uh, uh, there, that's where it all began, or so it uh, seems. Uh, he refused to bow down to Haman. Haman uh, would walk through the front office, and he didn't bow and acknowledge him because he knew that he was a longtime hater of the Jewish people and a descendant of the Amalekites, uh, whose heart for centuries was to wipe out the Jewish people. So uh, there was this longstanding feud, and there's no way that he was going to bow to the ground to this man who's capable of annihilating the Jewish people. He kind of sensed that that's where this guy was at. And, and, and so uh, I, what, what I think is pretty important is that we understand that though it seems like Mordecai instigated this whole thing by not bowing, because what happened is Haman got so filled with rage that this one Jew wasn't going to bow to him well, he wanted to be the hero for his people who have a 1,000-year history from the exodus of trying to wipe out the Jews. 1,000 years, he wants to be the hero for his people. And so he took this as an easy excuse to hate the Jews and use it to vent his anger and say, not only are you going to bow, are you going to die for not bowing, but all of your people Right, so back to my point. Uh, that this was going to happen. This plot, with or without that bowing episode, because God already knew that this guy was going to do this. He's number two in the kingdom. Haman is, and God brings this about to draw out and expose what was already going to happen in his heart. And so God's just way ahead of everybody in the story. And he's already put Esther and Mordecai in place as the two Jews who will be the heroes, right? But it's not because Mordecai decided, hey, I'm not bowing. It's because God used Mordecai's insubordination to draw out a wicked plan that would have already been taking uh, action. And so that's important to know that God, you know what it helps me understand is the way he got Esther into the palace is kind of a less than desirable way. But there's a 911 going on 
And so God has to get his heroes in place, and he does so very creatively. Uh, but uh, just to, to point out that this all didn't come about because one guy didn't bow. God is, is with the crooked, with the devious, you show yourself shrewd. God already knows his heart. He knows he's number two in the whole kingdom. He knows he hates the Jews. His people have hated the Jews for a millennium. And so God is just drawing it out. What's in there? What's going on? And so God's in control. And so that's important to see. So he knows that there's one Jew that seems to have caused this whole thing. Haman does, Mordecai, right? But uh, what he doesn't know is the other Jew. That's who the readers know. The other Jew, the king's new beloved wife, the one he adores, the one he, he set a crown upon and named queen who reigns over the Persian Empire. She's a Jew, but he, Haman, the hater and enemy of the Jews, does not know that. Yeah, so as Scooby-Doo would say, rot row. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's one thing to, to kill the office staff member, you know, and say, you know, the king probably didn't like him anyway and doesn't know, even know he works there. And he doesn't even know Mordecai, even though Mordecai uh, has saved the king's life. He doesn't even know about Mordecai. But he does, you know. So, so Haman has the king's ear, but he doesn't have the king's heart. Someone else has that. And she is a Jewess. That's what you call a female Jew, by the way. <laughs> but you've probably figured that out. Hey, listen, uh, Psalm 7 says, uh, you know, we're not going to feel sorry for Haman because we already see what's coming because he signed his own death warrant. You know, when he's after God's people like that, the reader knows, oh man, if only you knew. You dig a hole for someone else, you will surely fall in it. Psalm 7 and verse 5. You know, just cold-blooded killer. And then I just want to point out before we go further, he, you know, he plots the assassination of an entire people, and then he goes out for drinks for a few brewskis while Mordecai and all the Jews all over the world are upside down with grief and terror. He's toasting and, and drinking uh, with his best friend, the king, who doesn't even know what has happened, really. He knows he signed something. You know, a lot of people are going to die, but they're troublemakers anyway, according to Haman. And so uh, this is going on just to show you. So one through three, you know, Mordecai is tearing his robes uh, and, and wearing burlap uh, and sprinkling ashes, this and and loud, bitter uh, wailing. This is a mourning Middle Eastern style. It, I mean, it's cultural, but it's real. It's from the heart. I mean, Westerners, what do we do? Uh, you know, there's a lot of crying. There's sunglasses that we wear. Uh, there's time off. We don't do anything. Uh, there's little appetite. There's dark clothing involved. You know, isolation. Every culture has their way of mourning, and so the Jews were mourning in this way. Uh, burlap. Listen, you know, the misery of my clothing, the 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 how uncomfortable I am in life is reflected there. The tearing of their clothes, the the tearing of their heart, and the dirt being pushed into the very ground, into the very earth, uh, in humility and in uh, suffering. And so 
perhaps Mordecai felt responsible. It's one thing to cause Haman to want to kill him, but now he's probably thinking, great. Now he wants to kill all the Jews. Uh, uh, Mordecai, Mordecai went to the front office, uh, verse uh, two there, uh, and he's not allowed to go inside. Why? Because the king's office, we don't want the morale to go down. And so nobody who's in official mourning was allowed to go to work, you see, because we just want happy reports in the king's palace. So, you know, but he needed to get a hold of Esther. And so he'd go to the front of the office and weep loud enough to get the attention of somebody who knows the connection between him and his cousin, the queen, who can save the day. And so uh, surely uh, he, Mordecai wants word to get to Esther uh, who can save the day. As I said, verse three, the Jews throughout the empire who here follow suit, they express their grief. Uh, uh, and there's a lot of fasting. Uh, fasting was only required one day of the year, the day of atonement. Leviticus 16 says, one day a year you fast and you come before me. Outside of that, it was voluntary and they would fast when they were in a lot of trouble. And so they're in a lot of trouble. And so there's some grief and some terror um, that they're feeling, and there's some repentance and prayer before God, even though, can you notice this? God's name is never mentioned in the whole book, nor is it ever overly religious. You know, you don't hear them seeking the Lord, right? Why? Because this is the subplot of the entire book. The subplot of the entire book is God is working when you can feel him, or when you can't feel him, when you can't feel him, when you can't see him, when you can't hear a whisper or see a glimmer of him, he's at work. You, you know, I, I think personally, quite personally for me, what's not in the text is more encouraging to me than what is in this book. That lesson, that listen, where are you, God? Oh, I'm busy working on your behalf, kid. You know, whether you can see it or not, I am somebody I'm praying for. It just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand anything about it. And God says, through the book of Esther, oh, just because you can't understand or you can't see or you haven't caught on what I'm doing, I am busy 24-7 listening and working. And just because you can't see it, doesn't mean I'm not doing it. Amen? Amen? That's the lesson there, folks. Moving on. Now, when Esther's maids and attendants or officers, that word means, came and told her about Mordecai, <laughs> she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he wouldn't accept them. Then Esther summoned Hack, one of the king's eunuchs assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what is troubling Mordecai and why. So Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. It was $180 million in today's economy. 
He's going to steal that from all the Jews that they killed. Confiscate all their, their resources. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict he, uh, for the annihilation, which had been published in Susa, the capital there, to show to Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to urge her to go into the king, your husband's presence, to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Hadhak went back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said. Well, that is very interesting. So we've seen a time to weep. Now it's a time to act. And sometimes uh, we need to put some legs to them prayers, okay? So even Moses needed this lesson. It was uh, time to uh, go into action. You remember in the Exodus, remember when the back, their backs were against the, the Red Sea and the, the, Egypt was bearing down on them. Uh, just a, an incredible passage. People panicked. And Moses was seeking the Lord. And then comes the line of the century for me. In verse uh, 15 of Exodus 14, the Lord speaks to Moses. Here comes the chariots. They're at a dead end. He's seeking the Lord. And the Lord says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea to dry land. I really like that. It's a rhetorical question he's asking them, isn't it? Because, you know, what would be the answer? Why are you crying out to me? Well, because um, we're trapped and about to die, <laughs> you know, and we just thought we could use a miracle. That's why I'm calling out to you. Well, the, the Lord isn't questioning that. He's saying there's a time to be in grief and mourning and all freaked out and seeking God. And there's a time to let God answer the prayer by getting up and doing something about it. And so Mordecai gets that. And he's going to waste no time. He's got 11 months. You know, kill the Jewish people day doesn't happen for 11 months. He wastes no time. He's praying, he's seeking God, and he realizes that sometimes, you know, it's just a spiritual to actually start to allow God to answer your prayer through cooperating yes. and doing what he's asking you to do. Amen? Amen? I see you thinking about that. That's a good sign. Now, so, well, Mordecai is wasting no time, and he's, he's making sure that everybody knows. So Queen Esther is going to get the word now. So apparently there are a few of her attendants that know the relationship between this guy who works in the front office and the queen, that they're cousins, right? They know. There's some trustworthy people that they work with, and so they get word. You know, they're able to communicate uh, through the staff. So she sends clothing. She doesn't know what's going on. She wants him not to get them in trouble because the king is going to see that. You know it's against the rules to go to work with burlap on. What's your problem? What happened? You know, here's some clothes. Stop it already. No more of this. She doesn't know. She thinks it's, you know, it's just maybe a material loss or, or, or you know, hey, here's some clothes. Go back to work. Stop drawing attention. You know, you want to get us killed? 
right? No, you don't understand, Esther. Um, it's a lot more serious than that. I mean, if he could text her, it would be 911-911-911-911, right? But so uh, Esther sends the attendant to get the details when she finds out uh, he didn't take the clothes. What? Go back and find out what's going on with this my, man, my cousin. And so the servant returns now to get uh, with the lowdown to Queen Esther, and she gets an earful, doesn't she? Well, uh, Mordecai's uh, message through this guy, hat hack, in Persian means Mr. Good. Oh, so, man, yeah, he's living up to his name so far, right? So he's the trustworthy conduit between Queen Esther in the upper echelons and this guy who's weeping in the courtyard. And so here comes the message through Mr. Good to cousin Esther. Uh, uh, Esther, we're all dead men. We're dead men walking, he says. Wicked Haman has bribed your husband. And let me tell you how much he offered. $180 million to wipe out every last Jewish person on the planet in the Persian realm. How did he know that it was 375 tons of silver? How did he know that? He works in the administration building. He has friends. They told him. You'll never believe this. And it's always, he, he, he adds this to fire up Esther because it's so disgusting to hear what somebody would pay for a human life. A hit on a, on a human life, let alone to a payment for genocide. It's just so disgusting. You know, 30 pieces of silver for the son of God. Five grand in today's money. That's what Judas did. So he throws that in there for $180 million. He sold us. We're sold. There's no hope. So, uh, you know, and by the way, he sends one of the flyers, you know, because he worked in the front office. Somebody said, hey, you want a copy of the scroll? I'll give you the copy of the edict. So he gets a copy of the edict and he gives it to Mr. Good and Mr. Good takes it to Queen Esther and Queen Esther looks at it and I can just hear him say, recognize the signature, cousin. Oh, that's your husband's signature right underneath where it says on March 7th, kill Every Jew in town signed King Xerxes with his ring. Cousin, cousin, cousin. Now I know you're queen now. And I know I'm just some guy who works in the front office, your cousin. But I'm going to tell you what to do, Miss Queenie. <laughs> you need to go in to your husband and start begging for mercy. That's what he advises. Verse 10. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai. So she says to Mr. Good, go back to my cousin and say this. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for anyone who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has only one law that he or she be put to death. <laughs> the, 
The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him or her and spare his life. 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Well, when Esther's words were reported to her cousin Mordecai, he sent back this answer. You go back to her and you tell my cousin, the queen, don't think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, oh, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to this royal position for such a time as this, which is such a famous line, isn't it? I mean, the whole book is famous for that line. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. All right, <laughs> I'll do it. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in the capital city, Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I die, I die. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. All right, let's talk about that. So we saw a time to weep, a time to act, and now a time to find some courage. Esther's first response. All right, so Esther's first response is this. Okay, cousin, let me explain how things work around here in a Persian palace, right? So verse uh, 10, he's all, she's all, there's a law. Let me tell you about this law, you know, because he said, you need to go in, talk to the king. You're the queen. Come on, save us. And she says, oh, it's not so fast. In fact, she's saying in her first response, I'm afraid that won't be possible. There's a law. It protects the king from threats, so it really severely restricts access to him. That was the intention. And it also shields him from wasting his time trying to solve everybody's problem. You, you cannot go to him without the proper protocols or, or there's one thing that will happen and you will die. So you go on un uninvited as you're asking me to do, and I'll be executed. There is one exception, you know. If he's in a good mood and he happens, you know, flip a coin and say you're going to live or die and it lands on the right heads, you know, then, you know, he'll hold out a golden scepter and that person can live and have their life spared. So Mordecai, uh, you, you know, listen, I haven't even seen my own husband in 30 days you think like I'm talking to him all the time over coffee. It doesn't work like that, man. I'm afraid I won't be able to be of any help here. And Mordecai has a very concise, straightforward, three-part answer, like a bow, an arrow, pew, right to her heart. And it works, right? So he says back, number one, last time I remember you were a Jew. Huh, now what about all Jews will die do you not understand? So number one is your life is in danger. Your husband's an animal. Uh, Haman's an animal as well. It won't matter, they'll find out and you're not gonna, you think you're gonna be the one Jew left on the planet? No, it's not gonna happen. So you know what's gonna happen? The king 
is going to be bound by his word. He's going to be humiliated into honoring that, even though you're the queen. You know what? He's going to let you be killed. Then what is he going to do? He's going to go and get drunk, and then they're going to have another beauty pageant, and they're going to replace you fast. There's a revolving door. It's Vashti, Esther, and the next one. She'll probably be Irish. <laughs> now, verse 14, he says, number two, God's faithful. This is bigger than you. Uh, you may say no, but let me assure you that God is not going to be thwarted by one individual's failure to act. He will act, but in serious chastisement of you, you will perish and your immediate family may we will perish if you don't do something about this. That's what his sense was. Number That was number two. Uh, God will get us out of this. He always has. He always has for 1,500 years. There was Egypt. There was Syria. There's the Philistines. There's the Canaanites. There's the Babylonians. And then there's this, this thing. He's going to save us. He promised our uh, relative, Abraham, that he would never forsake us and take us all the way to his desired uh, plan. So we, I have faith in God. With you, ah, I'm not so sure here, right? But I know that God is going to uh, save us. If, if you refuse uh, in this situation, I can see something terrible happening. Instead of protecting yourself by your silence, you're actually putting yourself in harm's way. Now, you know what? We understand that there's fear. Got it. You know, you're going to have to risk your life. Esther, yeah, we understand that. But it would be sin for you not to act. Because for the person who knows the good to do and doesn't do it, for him, that's sin. James chapter 4, verse 7. All right? But there's an even a better one that seems written in Proverbs. And Proverbs was around. For 500 years, she's had 500 years to read this proverb. Here it is. I have it for you. Proverbs 24. If you falter, Esther, in this time of trouble, how small your strength. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this. Doesn't he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? You see, listen, you can't just pretend you don't know the fate of that person. You can't just isolate yourself because there's some kind of risk to you involved in obeying God to help that person not perish. So this has contemporary significance for us as well, doesn't it? Right? I mean, we know the truth. We have people in our lives and just because it'll cost you something even relationally or, or, or in some other way that you back down and you decide, hey, there's too much on the line for me to, to do something and get involved. And God says, are you kidding me? I put you in that place, Esther, Ross, John. I put you in that place for this moment with those people who you have the key to spare. You can help. You can make a difference. 
You can't just back down because you don't know how things work. You don't know how things work. My company and my family, you don't know what it's like. I could get really messed up, you know. Well, it's a time for courage. And so the, uh, the third one that he says, the third reason he gives her, he says, have you considered, Esther, that you were born for this very thing, for this moment, that this is your destiny? That everything in your life that has come before is right now here, right now here on the line for you to choose. Have you stopped to think about that? That the, that the angels are watching, that, that God put you there and equipped you and, and, and handed you the baton and said, go, do it. Have you stopped to think that maybe it's not just a coincidence that out of 1,500 girls in the whole world that were chosen, first of all, that it, what happened to Queen Vashti? And that then they want a beauty pageant. And then how did they find you? They found you in some little village. And then you win first prize out of 1,500 girls in the whole world. And not only that, he puts a, a, the crown, the queen on your head. And then they want to kill all of our people, and you happen to be a Jew. Have you stopped to think that God has knit your whole life together with purpose so that in this moment, you could do what he's called you to do and to shine and to be a hero? Come on. What are the odds, man? Is it going to be faith or fear? Is it going to be me or thee? Is it going to be cowardice or courage? What say you, Esther? What say you? So here comes Esther's response to Mordecai. And she says, I'll do it. Right? You can put the verse back on if you'd like. Thank you. She says, I'll do it there in verses 15 through 17. Her response now, I, I have written down she cried uncle, right? But she, it's really cousin. So she cried cousin, and she said, yes, of course, you're right. So time to find some courage for her. And look how she finds courage. Uh, she asks for support. She asks for help. Oh, come on. Christians have such a hard time with this. You know, oh, we're so much, we have so much pride. And so she, she knows, listen, I need some help here. You know, I've told you about hearing people like say things like, hey, did you hear so-and-so got a divorce? What? I, I didn't even know they were struggling. Nobody wants help. Oh, we got it. Oh, we're, we're together. I got this. Or some guy commits adultery after years of struggling with porn. What? I'm not, not a clue. And everybody knows I'm not a clue. Just swallow the pride and say, I don't have it all together. I've got some problems in my marriage. I've got some problems with, with self-control. I've got some problems with my budgeting. I've got some problems at work. You get support. She does that. She goes, call everybody together and get them all on the same page, thinking and praying and fasting. And I love the fasting part. She says, three days, day and night. Not like the Middle Easterners do. 
People gain weight on the fast of the month of Ramadan because they eat from sundown to sunup so much that they end up gaining weight. It's not really a fast. It's just organized eating. <laughs> Amen? She says, I'm talking about the real deal, dude. If I'm going to go stand out there unannounced, just stand there. You guys need to know I need some help here. You guys need to be backing me up with some serious prayer. I don't want you eating or drinking fluids or water. What? That's how you can, you can almost die after three days and nights of no water. She says, well, I'm about to die. You guys too. <laughs> Come on. Get with this. So she reaches out. For help, And she also knows she's, she needs God. Everybody, come on, let's fast and throw ourselves before the Lord and ask him to help. And then I love the faith part. She says, you know what? I'm stepping out. If I die, I die. But there's courage to do what God has called you to do when you step out in faith. Then the courage comes. All right, well, you just got to finish eight more verses, okay? I can't just, I, it'll be too much. I won't sleep tonight. So on the third day, they're all fasting, crying, seeking God, and very hungry and thirsty. Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half of the kingdom, it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I've prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asked. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now, second time, what's your petition? It'll be given to you. And what is your request? Even half of the kingdom, it'll be granted. Esther replied, my petition and request is this. If the king regards me with favor and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. Well, let's talk about this. First, we had a time to weep. Second, we had time for action. Third, we had a time for courage. And now, since it's the book of Esther, we have a time for yet another banquet. All right, that's what we do in Esther. We have a lot of parties in Persia, all right? And so, do you know there are six banquets in the book? And this is one of them. So, number one, a party with a purpose, as, as Pastor Jim would say, a party with a purpose. All right, so it's a big day. Let me just remind you what's on her plate this morning, all right? On day three, as she's getting dressed. Here's some of the thoughts that's going through her head. Number one, I'm about to break the law and incur a capital offense. And I risk my life 
the penalty is death. Number two, um, the, I'm going to have to confess that I haven't been totally honest with the king and let him in on a little family secret. I'm Jewish. <laughs> Number three, I'm going to have to convince the king to reverse an irreversible law. Hmm. Number four, I've got to go against Haman, the most powerful person on earth, under my husband. Number two, power. I got to go against him. And number five, I'm pursuing a plan which will strike a serious blow to the king's pride. What do I mean by that? He's told the whole world in his handwriting, right? He signed it off. Kill all the Jews. March 7th, next year. Well, what is he supposed to do? Oh, excuse me, I just sneezed. What's he, what's he supposed to do? He's ordered. He's ordered. He has ordered an edict. They've had mounted steeds galloping all over the region. And everybody's got the law. Hey, I just said, here's the law. Now he's got to send out troops and everybody to say, JK? Just kidding? Uh, <laughs> oh, whoops, that was a typo. Did I say kill the Jews? I meant, you know, something else. Well, yeah, so here we go. She gets decked out on that day, day three, and she's beautiful, right? So she's going she's gonna to get all dolled up. She's going to put on her royal robes just to remind him in case he's forgotten who she is. I am the queen, <laughs> you said. So these beautiful scarlet and purple and white with blue and, and gold embroidery uh, robes that she walks into this hall and this hall has uh, 65 pillars that are about 70 feet tall. It's an impressive place. You know, her blood pressure is 289 over 190. <laughs> All right, so... This little thing, she goes in there, right? And she takes her place on the X. This is where you go. Now, the X marks the spot where I wish to see the king. Now, the king, king would conduct royal business throughout the day, and there was a schedule. So she's smart. The Holy Spirit's giving her wisdom. She waits until he's done with official business all day long. And when that last case happens and is resolved, she stands on the X. There's nobody coming after. He's hungry. It's the end of the day. She's got a plan. She's smart. So the king sees her on the, on the spot and smiles. She's looking lovely. It's all over for him. He, he loves her. And, and the scepter is like, Extended. <laughs> and so Queen Esther, he says, uh, what's your request? Up to half of my kingdom is an idiom. And not to be taken literally, it really means actually your wish is my command. It's really where we kind of get the wording when you get married and say, uh, all my earthly goods I V endow. He's saying, whatever you want is yours. What is it? He knows she's risking her life. 
He knows it's a dire need. And he's saying, don't worry. Whatever it is that has placed you on the X is yours. No worries. Well, she's breathing a lot easier, I think, right now. You know, she exhales. And and then uh, he says, well, what exactly is it? Because she's standing right there now because she touched the scepter. Like, thank you very much for not killing me. And then he says, what, what gives? What's up? And she smiles and says, you hungry? <laughs> she says, you know, my mom taught me that a way to a man's heart is through his tummy. <laughs> she says, let's have dinner. Listen, honey, I've prepared something wonderful. There's no, 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 no place to talk about stuff here in the courtroom, in the throne room. Why don't we have dinner tonight, and why don't we invite your good friend Haman over to join us, which is not a strange request to him. Why? He's number two. He just got a promotion, right? And they're drinking buddies. So he, she says, hey, why don't I fix dinner tonight? And then, you know, I'll tell you what's up, okay? I'll fix something that you love, and you invite your, your pal Haman. She needs Haman there because she's going to bust him out, Right? So she needs that dude to be sitting at the table where she can point her finger and say, he's the one, (laughs) right? Oh, I love this story. So so he hears about the food and he's all, let's do this. And he looks at some attendant and he says, hey, get Haman right now. It's supper time. She's cooking. Come on, go get him, go get him. And so they're running to get Haman couple hours pass. It's time for the dinner. Oh, man. I'm nervous talking about it right now. Uh, it's time to eat. The guests arrive. They're at the table. Esther is, you know, her heart's pounding, and it's happening. She's going to have to answer the question. There Haman is, that wicked little junior, Hitler Jr., is sitting there. That, that Antichrist prototype. He's sitting at the table laughing, and she's like, every time walking by him, right? Oh, and she knows the kid's going to say, now, honey, what is it that you wanted? She's going to have to say, it's him. He's going to kill us all, <laughs> right? So, so the plates are being cleared. They have a beautiful dinner time. You know, the dinner, the after-dinner wine has been served in verse 6, and they're reclining. Uh, did you know what they ate? I, I have the menu right here. <laughs> Beef brisket, that's very Jewish. All right, number one, and it's very good. Roasted potatoes with savory herbs with dried apricots. It's really good, really good. And, and fresh baked chala. Now, you would say chala, it's chala, all right? It's that braided bread warm out of the oven with a little butter. Oy vey. <laughs> and uh, sukani nut is a jelly donut. It looks like a jelly donut to Gentiles. But to Jews, it's just wonderful goodness of sugar <laughs> and, and, and raspberry preserves. Okay, I digress. So the king says, man, he's like, oh, man, I couldn't eat another thing. You know, the body language is happening, and she knows she's going to have to spit it up now. It's coming time, right? So, you know, the king pats the cushion next to him. 
That's now Queen Esther. Come on over here. Come on over here, sugar muffin. All right? I want to know, what is it now that I can do because your wish is my command? The attendants are all watching. Whoa, what's she going to ask for? Haman, you know, he's like, yeah, what could she possibly want? You know, they're all leaning in, right? The king's eyebrows are arched. What is it, right? The angels are holding their breath. The angels are like, huh. <laughs> say it, say it. And then there's momentary crickets. There's nothing. The angels are like, oh no, this is bad. And then she says, <clears throat> well, oh yeah, the request. <laughs> That's right. Uh, let's have dinner again tomorrow. <laughs> Come on, Esther. That's good. <laughs> she had it there. It was going to happen. And have you ever been there where you had it all rehearsed out? And then he goes, so what is it? And you look at Haman, and you look at the king, and you're like, nice weather we're having tonight, you know? And so she just couldn't bring herself to do it. And so she says, let's have dinner again, just the three of us. And then I promise that I'm going to tell you tomorrow at that dinner what's truly on my heart. And at that moment, you will never guess what happened. Oh, we got to stop. Sorry. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? Okay, so thank you for that. You can take that away. But uh, some really good stuff is coming tonight. Uh, uh, later on, I should say, in the story and next week when we address it. Um, I've got a few takeaways, all right? Then we're going to pray. So I took a look at the story tonight, and here's uh, what I got out of it, okay? Number one, it's good to know that there's someone to hear us when our world is upside down and we're crying. The psalmist says, he sees my tears, he records each one and keeps them in a container of his, in his little bottle, he's got our tears it's a poetic way of saying, when you see him, he's going to talk to you about that in a very pleasant way. He's going to bring a reward. Number two, it's good to know also that when I can't see God or feel his presence or make heads or tails out of my life, he's busy working for my good. Always. That's his promise. You love him. Called according to his purpose, everything's working for good. Number three, it's good to know also that one individual's failure can't nullify the faithfulness of God in our lives. And lastly, it's good to know that God has destined us for moments of greatness. And then he empowers us with the faith and the courage and the wisdom in that moment so that we can win the day, be victorious, do as he's called. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this delightful, wonderful story filled with lots of insights. Lord, tonight we found ourselves somewhere identifying with someone. I just pray, Lord, that you'd help us to live out these truths that you're teaching us through the book of Esther in ways that honor and glorify you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.